and welcome to Taking the Party Out of Politics. This is a podcast about understanding how politics is supposed to work, why it isn't working as well as it should be working, and what we might be able to do about it. Because by understanding a little bit more clearly how things are supposed to work and why they're a bit messed up, we might be able to get things to work a bit better, perhaps even a lot better. This is episode four of our special bonus mini-series, in which we'll be looking a little bit more deeply into the five impossible puzzles of political participation from our perspective as voters. We first discussed these impossible puzzles during season one of the Taking the Party Out of Politics podcast. If any concept here doesn't immediately make sense, or if you feel that you want to learn more about that topic, please go back to listen to the appropriate earlier episode. Taking the party out of politics is joining you on a little journey to explore the systems and the functioning of politics. Systems which we should all understand because those systems affect all of our lives all of the time. Left-wing or right-wing, intergovernmental climate change summit or parish council Zoom meeting. And this podcast is about how we might be able to make those systems work a bit better by understanding what is supposed to happen, by understanding why it isn't always happening in the way it's supposed to, and by understanding what sorts of things we might do to make things work better. So, this is episode four of the Five Impossible Puzzles of Political Participation mini-series. Five puzzles, so you won't be shocked to learn there will be five episodes in total in this mini-series. This episode is about the impossible puzzle for representative governments. Because although it might at first seem that we have a government which represents the way that people across the country voted, well, that's not actually what happens. So let's start at the beginning. How do our elected representatives get together to represent our interests? Having been elected, all the representatives get together to talk through all the issues, they get together in a place which is actually named after the process of talking, Parliament. The representatives then become a member of the group of people who talk through all the issues, a member of Parliament, an MP. That's good for thinking about stuff that someone else is suggesting, or perhaps for reacting to situations, but how do all those local representatives, those MPs, how do they all get together to make a plan for what our country wants? planning for the future, not just reacting to stuff that happens. The MPs who think in a similar way get together as a political party, as a smaller group within the overall group of MPs, and put together their plan, their policies, their manifesto. And so we end up electing not just any local representative, but a representative of a particular national party, whose policies and manifesto we like. In fact, we know which political party our candidates represent even before we vote. And so when we vote for a good local representative, we know that we're also voting for a political party, one which we hope will be able to form a competent national government. So right from the start, when we first cast our votes, we know that we're voting for a government as well as for a local representative. As unrepresentative as it might be at the local level of individual constituencies... And if you want more information about that, then listen to episodes two and three of this mini-series. As unrepresentative as it might be at the local level of individual constituencies, it gets worse 
at the national level. On the surface, it might seem that the party which gets the most candidates elected will represent the views of the majority of the country. But that's not actually the case. Added to the the first-past-the-post system at the constituency level, it's also the case that the party with the greatest number of candidates elected gets to form the government. Now, there are all sorts of ways in which this might work out in a way which is going to skew the results. Just imagine that in our constituency, 51% of the voters vote for Party A. So, 49% voted for Party B, and just for the sake of the example, let's just imagine there are only two political parties. 49% for Party B, but 51% for Party A. Fine, it's not a big majority, but at least more than half the voters in our constituency voted for our new representative, who represents us, and who is also a member of Party A. So when our new MP gets to Parliament, they're going to be a member of the Parliamentary Party for Party A. Fair enough. OK, and this is not very likely. Just imagine that the same thing happened all across the country. In every constituency, 51% of the voters voted for a candidate from Party A. Of course, and for our example, remember we only have two parties, Party A and Party B, 49% of the voters across the country voted for Party B. But just imagine, in every constituency, 51% of the voters voted for Party A. The result would be that 100% of the MPs in Parliament would be from Party A, even though very nearly half, 49% of the voters, voted for Party B. 100% of the MPs in Parliament would be from Party A. Now, let's be honest, that sort of result is pretty unlikely to have 51% of every constituency all voting the same. Not very likely. That's just a way of making us think. However, if we have a more realistic outcome, having a majority of elected candidates across the country does not mean that you had a majority of the national vote. Let's imagine that we had 100 constituencies each electing one representative, so a total of 100 representatives. Even in a simple system, with only two parties nationally and only two candidates in each constituency, imagine this. In 60 constituencies, candidates for Party A get 60% of the votes cast. So across those 60 constituencies, candidates for Party A have a majority of the votes cast. So Party A gets 60% or 60 of the 100 representatives elected, which is a majority of the representatives elected. So, Party A forms the government. But perhaps in the other 40 constituencies, the candidates for Party B actually got 100% of the votes cast. Added to the 40% of the votes cast in the constituencies where candidates from Party A were elected, Party B actually has a majority of the votes cast nationally. If you want to do the maths, 40% of 60% plus 100% of 40% is 64% of the national vote. Now, this is just an example. Obviously, it's pretty unlikely that any party is going to get 100% of the votes, even in one constituency. And in reality, there are more than two candidates in each constituency and more than two parties nationally. The maths does get more complicated, but it can certainly happen that the party which gets more candidates elected than any other party, or even a majority of all elected candidates, doesn't necessarily also have a majority of the votes cast. 
If you want a more realistic example, all we have to do is narrow down the numbers. If party A gets 51% of the vote, a majority of the vote, in 51% of the constituencies, a majority of the constituencies, then party A will have 51 out of 100 MPs in Parliament. Party A will have a majority in Parliament, and so party A will form the government. However, if party B gets just 52% of the votes in the other 49% of the constituencies, then party B will actually have more of the national vote. It works out as 50.47% than party A does, which works out at 49.53%. There's not much in it, but the result is that the party with the most MPs, so the party which gets to form the government, actually has a smaller share of the vote than the party which got more votes. Or if you can cope with a few more mathematical rifts, just imagine what happens if there are three political parties and the candidate who wins in each constituency doesn't even have more than half the votes in that constituency, just more than the next highest candidate, what we call first-past-the-post at the constituency level. If the winning candidate for party A got just 40% of the vote, but if party B got 35% and party C got 25%, in 51% of constituencies, then party A would still be in government, but with even less of the national vote than in the previous example. Now, the simple message here is that a political party just needs to win in a majority of constituencies, not a majority of the votes, in order to win the election. Now, you could argue, well, hey, that's the system. Tough luck. The party which won in 60 constituencies just ran a better campaign. And that would be correct. The party which won in 60 constituencies certainly played the game better. But this is not a game. This is a system which is supposed to be providing us with representatives who will represent what we want and what we believe should happen. Just because one party played the game better, does that mean that the rules of the game are good enough? Or rather, is the system good enough if it leads to situations like this? Isn't the system supposed to create a group of elected representatives who actually represent what we want them to represent, not just a group of elected people who ran the best campaign? Anyway, you might be thinking, this is all just some clever bit of mathematics, isn't it? I'm afraid not. In fact, it is normally the case that the party which forms the government does not have a majority of the votes cast. The government may have a majority of the candidates elected, referred to as seats, but in fact no UK government since 1935 has had a majority of the votes cast, although some have got very close. For example, although the Conservative Party famously got a large majority of candidates elected in the last general election in December 2019, 365 MPs out of the 650, so 56% of the seats, they actually only got 43.6% of the vote nationally. Now, this is a bit of a simplification because the remaining 56.4% of the votes cast nationally didn't all go to one party. But it is absolutely true that a large majority of people didn't vote Conservative in 2019. Or to put it another way, 56.4% of people voted against the government. And it's been that way 
with more than 50% of people voting against the government since 1935. Well, it makes you think, doesn't it? How exactly do we call our system of government a representative democracy if more than half the people didn't vote for the political party which gets to form our government? In fact, if more than half the people voted against the party which gets into power, just how representative is that? So, where have we got to so far? In the UK, and in many other representative democracies, candidates to be our representatives are elected on a first-past-the-post system at each constituency. Once they're elected, they're elected. They might have a majority in their constituency, or they might just have more votes than the next candidate. All the votes which were cast for other candidates, or if you like, against the candidate who was elected, will none of those votes count anymore. At the constituency level, there is only one point to win, one candidate to be elected, and once that candidate is elected, anything else which had happened in that constituency, all of the background noise, all of the interest in other parties or in other candidates, all of that is just swept aside. There are variations and other possible electoral systems, some of which are a bit fairer, if that's the right word to use, such as proportional representation. And if you want to learn more about that sort of thing, perhaps you could have a listen to episode four from season one of Taking the Party Out of Politics. But even with proportional representation, there's still a cut-off point where some votes don't count. And then, once a candidate is elected, they're elected. And once more than half the candidates elected are for one party, then that party gets to form the government. It doesn't matter if most people voted for other parties. It doesn't even matter if most people voted for one single other party. All that is needed for a party to form the government is to get more than half the total number of MPs, even if many of those didn't even get more than half the votes in their constituencies. And in the UK, this has been happening since 1935. No UK government since 1935 has received a majority of the votes cast across the country. We elect our governments to represent us. The clue is in the representative part of representative democracy. But if most of us voted against our government, well, just how representative is our representative democracy? And that's the impossible puzzle for representative governments. Unless, of course, you have some different ideas, some suggestions as to how things could be different, perhaps about how we could use our systems differently or about how we could tweak them so they worked better in all of our interests. If you have any ideas, we would love to hear from you. In Season 3 of Taking the Party Out of Politics, we will be exploring various ideas about how we could make things better, and we would love to hear from you. Just email us with your ideas on info at talktogether.info. If your ideas are good, or if they help us and others to understand things more clearly, then we will include them in Season 3. We might even contact you to interview you about your suggestions. We look forward to hearing your thoughts. Next time, we'll be looking at the impossible puzzle for Parliament and Government, where we have one political party not only running the government, but also controlling the system which checks up on the government. Yet another big problem with the way our political system works, or rather doesn't work, at least not properly. For now, thank you for listening to Taking the Party Out of Politics. You can download each episode separately from the links on our website, www.talktogether.com. 
info, where you can also get transcripts of all the podcasts, plus links to the references for all our sources. Or you can just get all of our episodes downloaded automatically. Just subscribe to Taking the Party Out of Politics on iTunes or Acast. And if you found this interesting, please tell your friends and give us a rating. That not only helps other people to find us, it just also makes us feel really useful. That would be great. Thank you. Yeah.